can do this. One, two, three. Yes. Uh, hi, friends. And uh, today we are talking about the mental health. Yes. And uh, with Andrew. <laughs> and together with Andrew, I have to say. And um, first, uh, we will talk about the certain terminologies, terms to draw the landscape. And so that will be helpful for us to guide ourselves, like guide our knowledge through this landscape. And also that then we can we will talk about the practical tools and uh, the interview that we, is going to talk is uh, perspective taking. And I will try to um, talk about the um, sports and how the sport and how the health and general physical health or well-being can be um, another powerful tool to mitigate um, the mental health problems. Yes. So, Andrew, we will start talking about the concepts and terms that will help us in a, in a, in a, in a second to understand and uh, uh, to, to, to understand the mental health problem. Okay, my friend, let's go. <laughs> Hello, um, I am Andrew. Um, I know Riza for a while now. I am a philosopher um, and we studied together uh, masters of science in politics, economics, and philosophy. That's how we know each other. And we've been good friends for quite a long time now. A hundred years. Yeah, a hundred years. A <laughs> hundred years. Um, so I introduced the topic of mental health to uh, Riza last week um, because he wanted to do a podcast on sports uh, and health. And I saw an immediate connection between that and mental health because we have the saying in English, uh, yeah. healthy body, healthy mind, exactly. right? Um, and I also recently went through my own health, mental health problems yeah. uh, and I experienced it uh, you know, as a human being but also as an academic. Yes. Um, and you know, I'm over them now, yes. um, but it's an experience that I do not wish on other people and th therefore I want to talk about it. Um, so first and foremost, let's, let's draw this landscape that Riza talked about. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply a philosophical approach. It's called perspective taking. And this is where I take the standpoint of my viewers yes. and do some research from their perspective. I'm Googling, right? I'm Googling, right? So, you know, I'm Googling. Let's re remind ourselves, Google gives individualized search results. Yeah. So these are my individualized search results yeah. when I Google. Um, so I typed in mental health in Google. Uh, besides a map to a clinic, um, I was given mentalhealth.gov, an American site. And what do they say, Riza? Yes. They say... It's loading right now. Yes. Um, they say, what is mental health? Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. I'll stop right yeah. there. I think that's enough to, to start with. Yes. Um, I'm going to tie that to my own situation, right? Um, I never 
gave a second thought about mental health before I had mental health problems. I think that's an experience that most people have. Then I started experiencing mental health problems, and specifically as an academic, I started experiencing them uh, in a way where I was able to also research mm-hmm. what I was doing, what was going on to me, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is one um, something that m- many people don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I must also understand, you know, the privilege of me having mental health and having this background. So that in my research, what I came across the most was mental health is an individual problem, and that's what we see here. Uh, mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It, it affects how we think, feel, and act. It helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. That's already setting it into the stage, even though it's using a we, it's setting in this stage of we're talking about this individual. And so that's what I'm going, I'm going to go through a few more definitions now, a few more things now, to show that this individualization is taking place. Um, so that was mentalhealth.gov. This is the N- National Institute of Mental Health, um, which is the largest scientific nor- or organization mm-hmm. for health. Um, in, the United States. in the United States. Yes. Um, it, is, it is loading. Um, and all I did was click on the Google search results. So this mm-hmm. is all I've done uh, because what I'm doing is I'm navigating as my mm-hmm. users might or as my users, as uh, other people yeah. listening to us might do it. Um, and what the website comes up and you can do this yourself is um, first things first, the National Institute of Mental Health is the lead federal agency for research and mental disorder. Mm-hmm. So it's establishing one, this authority. What it does then is then start displaying a bunch of mental health issues that we tend to all maybe have access to. For instance, anxiety disorders, autism spectrum disorder, borderline personality disorder, eating disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, suicide prevention, attention deficit disorder, bipolar disorder, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Those are the topics. And I know from my own research doing this um, that each of these topics is actually quite individualized. For instance, starting with the first, anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. that's one of the ones that I've Mm -hmm. figured out that I have. I have a lot of anxiety and I had to go through that. And all of the resources of talking about that were about going to therapists or Um, talking about how this is an individual problem, especially an individual disorder. Now, let's think about that. As philosophers, as politics, uh, economics, and philosophy students, um, we talk about social order, right? Social order is something that is not just one individual, it's many individuals. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about mental health, we're talking about disorders, we're talking about individuals, right? It is the individual who is causing disorder within the social order. So says a website that has established itself as a, um, as a authority on this. 
And of course, you have to go through all of the. Just oh. You have to go through yeah. all of the um, links in order to actually establish that. Uh, I did this earlier, but you know we have uh, we don't have time right now to do this. Yeah. It takes a lot of time to do. This is stuff that you can do on your own. Yeah, exactly. I. It is very interesting. Um, uh, it's very interesting to say that is the mental health problem as an, as an outcome is highly individualized. Yes, mm -hmm. everyone experiences in a different way. When it, but this is very important. I mean, I mean, I always think about this. Although the mental health is very individualized, but the input is very like collective. Yes, it's as there is the input and output. If we think like, if we put it into this uh, mathematical formula, the, the the result the, the the result is might be individual, but we know that we are living in society. We have interaction with people, and we are working. We have the interaction with our employer, and in uh, lots of other problems like we are experiencing, which is can contribute to the mental health problem. But at the end of the day. The disorder, or I would say the problem, is very, very individualized. Mm -hmm. And uh, on all these authorities, they diagnose this as an individual. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about the reasons or the, uh, as I told you, like inputs, they are very diverse and they can be very different. I mean, I mean, yes, that's, I think just to mention it, that it is individual, but the the causes might be collective or community driven or again like lots of other stuff what do you think about this i i think that is an ex excellent way to put it um i think uh like i i myself in my own perspective taking technique um i often draw the dichotomy between individual and collective and specifically how um we tend to ignore collective problems we tend to put collective problems onto individuals uh, because individuals are seen as these sort of categories, units of being, these people, these homo economicuses, all these other different terms, these self-interested people, uh, lots of different terms that we can draw from from our own academics. Uh, they are this category that makes up the collective, but Generally speaking, we focus only on the individual thinking, focusing on the individual is then focusing on the collective. And I'll just use an analogy that I uh, learned from Dr. Uh, Robert Sapolsky. So yeah. he's, he's, he's background in this. He's a, he's a um, Stanford, University. Stanford University neurologist um, and uh, primatologist. Mm. And he uh, also... Uh, does lectures uh, or did lectures that are available for free online in YouTube from Stanford um, called Human Behavioral Biology. And he talks at some point about uh, reductionism and science, right? Mm. So here we're talking about reductionism of two individuals, right? If you study individuals, maybe even groups of individuals, you're still studying individuals as these collective, uh, as these um, categorical units. Mm. Uh, and you think then you will get knowledge about the collective. Well, he points out that if you were to do that for clouds, that would be crazy. You know, if you were trying to study, you know, I've used that word crazy, yeah. really in, yeah. in, in its fullest sense. I'm not trying to be ableist. It's actually yeah. a crazy thing to do. Um, 
If we were to study clouds by studying the little droplets of water, we would understand almost nothing about clouds, yeah, exactly. right? And there are many other examples of this. Um, it's called chaos theory uh, that became popular, I think, in the 1980s. In Jurassic Park, you know, you have the chaotician yeah. Yeah. Uh, made by, you know, this beautiful man. I forgot his name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the thing. So we're receiving all this input as individuals. I like this yeah. uh, language here. We're receiving all this, individual, or this input as individuals, however, from a collective. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, and that's something that we need to keep in mind, that actually we're not individuals. We are also collective. We have behaviors that affect yeah, each other. We have behaviors yeah. that we share with each other. We have, yes. you know, there's such thing as uh, disgust. Yes. You know, that's a shared behavior. Yeah. If, if you get disgusted at something, I can get disgusted at it too. Mm -hmm. So moving on, I think, I think I've covered, you know, enough of the background of mm -hmm. that. Uh, and I think this is a good point for me to launch on to my second part, what I was going to talk about. Exactly. And so... Yes, and uh, I would say like we do discuss, I think you are going to discuss responsabilization, mm -hmm. yes? Mm -hmm. uh, we can discuss responsabilization mm -hmm. briefly and also I would like to hear your ideas on gaslighting as well. Mm -hmm. And then we can move to tools, perspective taking yeah. and, and I would like to suggest how we can use uh, sports in a sense of instrumentally mitigate health problems. Okay. Practically. No, exactly, practical. Practical, practical, yes, yeah. Responsabilization. Responsabilization. Okay, so uh, I, I, I'm a lucky person. I, I'm not only a philosopher, I'm a proofreader of social science papers. And yeah. I got to read about, um, I, I can't give many details because I, I have some confidentiality uh, in my profession. But I was reading a paper about unemployment in young people and the increased responsibilization. And just to define that, I'm again going to use the same approach. Google, right? And actually the Google first response is a quite good one, in my opinion. Um, the Google first hit, for me at least, is from SagePub. SagePub is um, sort of Scientific article, it's pub publishing. Program, yeah, publi publishing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so they give a, a, a definition. This is from the Sage Dictionary of Policing, mm -hmm. right? And their definition is responsabilization is a term developed in the governmentality li literature to refer to the process whereby subjects are rendered individually responsible for a task which previously would have been the duty of another, usually a state agency or would not have been recognized as a responsibility at all. The process is strongly associated with neoliberal political discourses where it takes on the implication that the subject being responsabilized has avoided this duty or the responsibility has been taken away from them in the welfare state era and managed by an expert or government agency. Yes. Okay, so that's already a lot to take yeah. in. That's just one definition. It goes, it goes on, actually. Yes. Um, that's a lot to take in. But I think that gets at uh, what ties the point what we're making earlier. Individual versus collective. Uh, we both studied politics, economics, and yes. philosophy. We were studying neoliberal 
economics. Oh, yeah, we were studying neoliberal economics, and we learned the individualized approach. Mm-hmm. So at an academic level, at least with us, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that we were also kind of doing ourselves. We were responsibilizing individuals for things that are actually not individual. They're collective. They're mm-hmm. social, right? Um, and in the context, in this context, mental health is becoming an individualized problem. Um, now, there's actually this is two-sided. One, on the one hand, mental health used to not be talked about at all. Uh, you look back at the history of talking about mental health, and you know we we had terms like crazy or mania or hysteria and stuff like that, it wasn't talked about at all on the individual level. It was talked about by snooty academics like us, right? Um, And this is going to, you know, just to tie into our practical later, you know, this is actually a practical thing to do is individuals on their own level as a collective talk about this stuff. Exactly. And right. Yeah. Exactly. Go on. Uh, go on. Yeah. I just wanted to, before going to gaslighting, like res- mm-hmm. responsabilization. I mean, yes, I also read this definition, but uh, for me, as I, I as I as I understood, like what is said here is um, institutional like agency who agencies they. I mean, I try to translate is shifting blame to the people. Yes, if they if something is they failed, so they it is because of your responsibilization of these tasks and so on. So I think it's a it's a again this the way that how we see what's happening in the society as well. If you are unemployed or if you have some problems, and mostly people see that you are, uh, I mean, um, you don't have this, uh, you don't have this personal skills or something else to be employed or to find some uh, yeah to 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 find some job and and then it is it's because of your because you responsible because you are not enough hard working and so on which we still know that is is there are lots of structural problems and so on so this is yeah and this uh, this is very interesting point that you are tying this to the uh, mental health so this, well, I think, let me is talk a com- about my experience. Then. Yeah, and it's completely new. Uh, the new, uh, for me at least, in my opinion, is a very new approach. If you tie this stuff to mental health, so you, it's a it's a new channel to to describe the output again for the mental mm-hmm. health. Bef- like it will be great to have your experience as well. And as you say that before, we have different terms like crazy mania and so on but we, we have today we have the vocabulary of all this syndromes path, like mm-hmm. all this thing that we have mm-hmm. and and that is um yeah and i mean um i i don't know who said this but if we go to this vocabulary of the mental health i think the uh, the only the maybe one or two person of the entire planet are <laughs> they don't have the mental health problems yeah because everyone to a certain way they have and i think that this is the uh, also just just to say that uh, when we say mental health problem we have a certain understanding of that yes yeah. we we have the borders of that and we just try to uh, try to get this uh, from uh, not from the vocabulary but from the individual experiences and we identify that we have the mental problem, for example. In your mm-hmm. case, you did your research, 
you, you didn't go to the therapist. You, I did I, go to a you, therapist. You, you did I, go I went to, to one session. I yes. Did. And uh, with the therapist, when you discussed, uh, it's overlapped your experiences or or, she, or he or she explained to you exactly what you have thought or it was different or oh, it was... Oh, no, no. This, this person listened. This yes. person just listened. And that is actually one of the most important things is that you have someone who just listens, does not try to tell you to do certain things, just listens to you. Because when they listen to you, they're taking your perspective and are then able to make a more accurate picture of what's happening. So I'll, I will use this as, uh, as a means to uh, talk about my, um, my own um, experience. experience with mental health. Um, and I, I, I keep underlining I'm an academic. So the thing is, you know, I experienced mental health in a way where I fundamentally realized it's not my fault. And I have that from Sapolsky, for instance. I have that from our own, um, our own background in um, politics, economics, and philosophy. I know about these structures, and I have that also just from my general uh, philosophical interests and political interests of researching. I know that these are stu structural problems. I know that, for instance, going to an unemployment office, uh, yeah, it might be my responsibility to show up, go there, you know, have discussions and stuff like that. But as soon as I'm there, that responsibility is no longer mine. It's in the hands of an institution. But knowing that didn't help me. Knowing that is one is something different than actually feeling that something is not your responsibility. And that's, to go back to this dichotomy that we're talking about, that's the overwhelming power of this collective input that Rizzo was talking about. As individuals, we might cognitively know things, but if we're not practicing what we know, if we're not paying attention to what we know, if we're not putting that into actual physical experience practices, then we'll nonetheless have this overwhelming collective input, as you put it. And I really like that because it's just really easy to, to say. Um, for instance, from unemployment office, for instance, from my social distancing from my friends, just because I couldn't go out and, uh, you know, go have drinks or whatever with them. Um, also family, you know, family tends to tend to not be so understanding or even knowledgeable about mental health. And that goes for society in general. Um, and that was my experience in a nutshell. I'm trying to condense it a little bit for time. My experience in a nutshell was that I was experiencing unemployment, ergo financial instability, uh, which comes with a certain sort of social instability of not being able to hang out with my friends anymore, go out for dinner. Um, I do have cool friends. They do pay for food and stuff like that, but you don't always want them to do that either. You know, you feel responsible for yourself no matter what, even if, even if you understand cognitively that you're not. And what 
turned me around. I, I have a specific point in this. What turned me around was talking or was reading about others' experiences with mental health. Um, I don't have the link offhand, but it is it is actually um, from I think Libcom, you know the the mm-hmm. one of the anarchist websites. They they made a collection of activists talking about their experiences of mental health and activism. By the way, I'm an activist kind of too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been out on the streets. I've gone to protest marches. Mm-hmm. That's why I found this, how I found this, because I was looking for this specifically because it, my, a lot of my mental health was also tied to my past activism. Um, just, one, just want to say that we will have uh, the brief summary of this discussion mm-hmm. in our Birkin podcast Medium publication. Uh-huh. And we can put these sources uh-huh. uh, for the right. listeners right. and the readers and as well. And they can go to and read this uh, from the Libgen or yeah. any other sources. Yes. Just like was. Yes, yeah, true. I, I don't actually have to uh, worry about that because we'll, yeah. be, we'll be writing up a little bit, a summary of what I- we're exactly saying. Exactly what we're saying. Yeah. Um, so I was reading other people's experiences. And this goes back to, uh, again, you know, it's... Uh, if the problem is collective input, mm-hmm. well, then maybe the solution is also collective input. Mm-hmm. You know, these are individuals' experiences, but they are collective. And being able to see that, or you know, read that a whole bunch of other people were experiencing, in many ways, the same thing I was experiencing. In many ways, things that are really different from what I was experiencing. Um, you know, they talk about things that I, of course, don't do. And they talk about things that I've, I, of course, do do, or I, of course, did fall. I won't go uh, feel. I'll go, I won't go into the details because it's just so much. But I will name, like, for instance, um, being parts of organizations. That's, mm-hmm. you know, some experience, some activists experienced being part of organizations, and that was the cause of their mental health problems. Other activists talked about actually being excluded from organizations. You know, I'm, I'm just naming this example as how the experiences are so different, but knowing about them is actually nonetheless helpful. And so that, I think, is also a good way to go into gaslighting. And um, I have, I, I think, the, the reason I, I chose gaslighting uh, I think, one, it's a term that we all need to know. Um, two, but it's also related to responsabilization. Mm-hmm. So where responsabilization was about something that governments and other, I'm going to say other big collective institutions, mm-hmm. I would say also capitalist institutions mm-hmm. do this, they responsabilize the individual. Um, I would, I, I'm going to point out that gaslighting is actually something that individuals do to each other but also governments and other institutions do it to individuals as well. So this is kind of bringing all the individual and collective stuff together uh, in this term. And first Google result, you know, because I'm using this perspective-taking approach, gaslight, Google dictionary, gaslight verb, uh, to manipulate someone by psychological means into doubting their own sanity. In uh, for example, in the first episode, Karen Valentine is being gaslighted by her husband. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, there's actually history to this, right? Mm-hmm. So this was from a film mm-hmm. or 
might be a series. I think it's a film. Um, it's a film uh, called Gaslight, mm -hmm. in which a husband is trying to drive the wife crazy mm -hmm. by changing little things in her environment. Mm -hmm. And she was he wasn't only trying to drive her crazy, uh, make her believe she's crazy, at least, um, but also make her friends and family as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it was to his advantage. I never actually saw the film, but I've read about that. Um, and the thing is, that already there kind of tells us where we need to access this. All this mental health stuff is about our fundamental beliefs, right? All this mental health stuff is about a congruence of our individual beliefs uh, versus our collective beliefs, right? If a collective is, or a husband, for instance, another individual who's part of a collective called you, husband and wife, if they are making you believe things that aren't congruent with how you believe, one term that came up in my search was it creates cognitive dissonance, yeah, sure. right? We, we know what cognitive dissonance is. That's the uncomfortable feeling of having two beliefs that do not fit together, that are incommensurable, to use a very academic term. Um, gaslighting is something that happens all the time. If you do your Google search as I have, you will, you will find there's such thing as uh, racial gaslighting, there's gaslighting discussed in feminism, there's gaslighting uh, discussed in uh, trans uh, activism, specifically in feminism. Uh, there's gaslighting discussed in activism generally. It is discussed all over, but if you, and this is what I did actually, if you look up those terms in the same sources in, uh, from the government or from dictionaries or whatever, it's not being talked about. So these authoritative sources mm -hmm. are not talking about gaslighting. And I forgot to mention this. They're not talking about responsabilization either. Um, and even Google, its definition is very short. And gaslighting, Wikipedia uh, is the first result, is, you know, Wikipedia is not something we trust. So what I did was I put all these same terms into Google Scholar. And that's just scholar.google.com. And mm. I'm not going to go through this, uh, all of them. Yes. But I, I think it's um, important to uh, take one of these. It's called the sociology of gaslighting. And I'm just going to read um, the abstract, right? And then I think that will be a good point for us to talk about practical tools afterwards, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, so abstract gaslighting, uh, a type of psychological abuse aimed at making victims seem or feel crazy, creating a surreal interpersonal environment, has captured public attention. Despite the popularity of the term, sociologists have ignored gaslighting, leaving it to be theorized by psychologists. However, this article argues that gaslighting is primarily a soci sociological rather than a psychological phenomenon. Gaslighting should be understood as rooted in social inequalities 
including gender and including gender and executed in power-related intimate relationships. The theory developed here argues that gaslighting is consequential when perpetrators mobilize gender-based stereotypes. By the way, this is a gender pu publication at Sage Pub. Uh, gender-based stereotypes and structural and institutional inequalities against victims to manipulate their realities. Using domestic violence as a strategic case study to identify the mechanisms via which gaslighting operates, I reveal how abusers mobilize gendered stereotypes, structural vulnerabilities related to race, nationality, and sexual sexuality, and institutional inequalities against victims to erode their realities. These tactics are gendered in that they rely on the association of femininity with irrationality. Gaslighting offers an opportunity for sociologists to theorize under-recognized under gendered forms of power and their mobilization in interpersonal relationships. Okay, that's all the reading I'm going to do from now on. Because reading's boring. Let's no, no, no. It's not boring. Well, it's it's I not mean, boring. It's, but no, no, no. It's very important. <laughs> just uh, as we discussed that um, this is our first podcast, and in general, in the future podcast, in the podcast number hundred or number two hundred, our aim also is to raise awareness about things mm -hmm. that people are not aware of. Exactly. Yes. For example, I don't know how many people know that gaslighting. Yes, I've watched already the the, the series and as well, and I uh, I understand what's going on here. This interpersonal mm -hmm. manipulation with interpersonal relationships by the part by the person who has authority. Yes, who had this uh, trying to do that? Then and it can be reflected. It can be uh, reflected on ev on each level in society. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also responsabilization and individual mental health and all this stuff are things that are like people do don't talk about this. Mm -hmm. If you see even high profile mental health reveals, for example, uh, Tyson Fury, he was a, a world champion boxer. He was by in the Joe Rogan experience and he talked about his mental health problems. He discussed he is he's, he's He's, I think he's a guy who has accomplished everything, but still he's suffering from the mental health problem. And it doesn't show, it doesn't necessarily for the people, uh, for, for example, from low, middle, high, social class, it is across all dimensions, it's, it, everyone can suffer from this. But in his experience, he told his own story. Uh, but I didn't see a kind of a scientific approach that mm -hmm. you just delivered. Mm -hmm. And this scientific approach is important because it gives us a structure and the landscape mm -hmm. that we talk landscape. just with, to navigate us. It's like a Google Maps <laughs> so yeah. that we can identify like, the is, points and we like can go... Mapping. Exactly, like mapping. Yeah. Mapping and we can go from point A to point B being aware of these terms mm -hmm. and of these understandings. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. Now we can um, talk about the two stuff. That perspective taking, yes, perspective taking. Just can you just say what do you what? How do you understand perspective taking and why it is important uh, to do like a, to conduct perspective taking? Yes. Okay. Uh, gladly. So, one perspective taking. Uh, even though I call it my own philosophical approach, I obviously I it's built on lots of other stuff, right? Um, perspectives um, are something that is kind of new in the social sciences. 
uh, disciplines are being called perspectives right now. Economics is a perspective, law is a perspective, psychology is a perspective, sociology is a perspective. My twist on this is that I was, I'm a moral and political philosopher. Um, I used to consider myself a philosopher of culture and identity. Um, that's what I studied in um, Canada at Queen's. Uh, in Hamburg, I concentrated more on moral and political philosophy. And specifically, I read two, um, two authors uh, with respect to the concept of need. Um, the concept of need being also another one of these important concepts that's becoming also popular in academia, uh, especially in the social sciences that I was talking about. And uh, the first one, Soren Reader, um, her uh, book, uh, Needs and Moral Necessity, I'm just going to talk about two points of it. I'm not going to go through uh, her arguments, stuff like that. But she starts off pointing out that moral philosophy had always been focused on agents, um, specifically on how agents can justify their own past actions, right? Or their own actions that they are already doing. Um, and so that's the agent standpoint. That's the standpoint that we generally take in our society as individuals, specifically self-interested individuals. How do we justify what we're going to do? And she says what we need to do is not only take our own standpoints as agents, but start taking the standpoint of patience. And that's her pro approach. You know, patience is a person in need. A patient is someone you need to help. And you can't help them from your own standpoint of being an agent. You have to help them from the, their own standpoint, because uh, which in many ways might not be something that they can really communicate you, to you at that point because they are in need. That's why it's so important to take their standpoint to try to see from their perspective. And that's what I mean about the perspective-taking approach is taking the standpoint of patience as an agent. You are, we are all agents, we're all patients too. Um, the second author, so that was moral philosophy, right? The second author, political philosophy, close enough, um, is Nancy Fraser. And she writes this actually before um, Soren Reader does. Um, she writes this in 1989, she's talking about uh, needs in political philosophy how the focus is on distribution of needs. So I tie that to Soren Reader in the following way. When you have a focus on the distribution of needs, according to Fraser, what you have is a focus on the distribution of specific interpretations of needs according to experts, right? Um, and those experts are agents. Those experts are people in academia or government or even you know, business who purport to um, be experts, obviously, but also purport uh, to be authoritative. You know, that's what being an expert means. It's you're authoritative. Um, and however, all they're really doing is creating their own interpretations of what needs are 
and then deciding for other people how those needs or their satisfiers are distributed in, uh, you know, in a populace, in government policy, so on and so forth. Um, for Nancy Fraser, the other side, what the patient is then, is ordinary people like Riza and I. We're ordinary people. Like I want to emphasize that we're not authoritative. We might be experts in our fields. You know, we studied this, but we're not authoritative in what we're talking about right now. We're talking about this right now as you know people, mm -hmm. right? And she says um, because of the focus on distribution people's claims about their own needs are not being understood, are not even being heard. And what's happening is this absurd thing, and she has a beautiful um, passage in her texts. I wish I had prepared uh, that, but the beautiful passage in the text is, you know, uh, to sum it up, is that uh, policymakers may uh, discuss all of these different ways of distributing uh, houses to homeless people, you know, and, and and keep on saying, okay, well, if they have the house that maybe, do they need a house in a suburban landscape, and then do they need uh, education, you know, good ed access to education, mm -hmm. so on and so forth, and they discuss this, but they never give the person the house. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem, is that by taking the standpoint of agents, you know, morally and politically, what we end up doing is justifying things and discussing them in this very analytical way and never practicing the things that we should be practicing. For Soren Reader, it was um, practicing uh, helping agents or patients. For Nancy Fraser, it was practicing taking people's claims uh, and their own interpretations uh, as Mm -hmm. what they are you know they're they are proof that those people are in need you know maybe they're maybe some of them are lying maybe some of them are are not really knowing enough about themselves but you cannot blanket all of the people who are in need you cannot make a blanket statement that oh they're not in need they're just you know use a justification right mm -hmm. they're just uh, lazy, they're just mm -hmm. blah blah blah, um, and that's again. So that's my approach, right? And this is mm -hmm. perspective taking. It's actually a very pr practical thing. What you are doing is listening to people mm -hmm. actively. What you are doing is trying to identify how to help other people actively. You're including them in a conversation with each other, uh, with with yourself collectively, actively, and you're giving them the space in order to actually talk about things that they need to talk about. And that's the important part of need. So go on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for perspective taking, um, what I have read and understood and of course practice in my life is to think beyond your own opinion. Yes, you have, everyone is op opined or opinionated, opinionated. opinionated. And I just try to see beyond and it's very important and I try, like we or I, we try to uh, understand the motivations, the thoughts, the needs of the person that we are thinking about. Yes, mm -hmm. we are. We it's perspective taking is we take the perspective outside of our, our own perspective. Yes, mm -hmm. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. And 
So just to give a summary what we have done mm -hmm. until now, we discuss individualization of mental health problem, which is very important. And my contribution was to give this a to formula to understand is input output situation and input is highly individualized, of course. And then we talk about the responsibilization mm -hmm. and we talk about more the roles of institutions and communities and uh, yeah, collective mm -hmm. collective uh, groups or interests of mm -hmm. groups uh, in a role of responsabilization. And then we talk about the gaslighting. Mm -hmm. These are the terms that we think that are very important and we should consider them. And also at the end, uh, perspective taking uh, suggested that the practical tool, yes, mm -hmm. to understand the person. In perspective taking, of course, we are not an authoritative part, mm -hmm. but perspective taking is about the people who are doing policy, writing the policy for the people who are in the... Yeah, you're doing it wrong if you're being authoritative yeah, exactly. in, in someone else's perspective. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But I think what you're twisted is perspective taking as a tool for for everyone just to think beyond their own yeah. opinion. I mean, it's very interesting. Uh, just just to wrap up um, yeah. perspective taking, I think. I mean, I think we're going to be talking about this in future yeah, podcasts, exactly. right? Yes, yes. Uh, it is actually, it is my dis dissertational... Um, Topic. Uh, it's my yeah. dissertational framework. Framework, okay. Uh, not only my approach, it's my philosophical framework. Um, I, I ended my dissertation. I, I left this out of the story. I ended my, my dissertation due to my mental health problems. Yeah. That was one of the best things I ever did was end my dissertation because, you know, don't make yourself do something that's causing you mental health yeah. problems. And I, I just want to end on this is saying that perspective taking, it doesn't take, uh, it's not about necessarily opinions, although that's true too. It's about people's honest claims that they make yes. about the world. Um, and we have to treat these as equal because it doesn't matter if it's from their perspective. You know, uh, maybe we can't tell if it's honest. And I think we have uh, already the idea of making an honesty podcast soon. Yes. Um, maybe next, next, yeah, the next, next podcast yeah. we could do that. Maybe they're not... Uh, maybe we can't tell that they're honest, but we have to at least treat them as if they're honest. You yes, know? and exactly. And what just wanna before going to the last part of this uh, lengthy podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> is is uh, also it's very important to uh, cultivate this social skills in kids. Yes, mm -hmm. the the social perspective taking mm -hmm. is very important. The kids already they have from the. Um, from the infancy or whatever, like, is this, yeah. uh, this is very important. Okay, and the last thing that we want to discuss mm -hmm. briefly is how we can uh, take this, all this information and apply to uh, well-being, yes? How yeah. we can mitigate mental health problem, yes? Yeah. Perspective taking is good, everything else tool, but how, what kind of mental health, uh, what kind of tools do we have, yes? The one which is accessible for us immediately is activity, being physically active, yes? That's one. But phys yeah, exactly. It's which is immediately accessible. Yeah. Like if you are active, if you do something, other people are not physically active, but still this is something that is already established in a literature that there is a ev like link between the physical activity and with enhanced mental health and well-being, yes? Yeah. It is, no one is... Critic, uh, is there is is it something think, established in I the literature? I think the best thing for me to do right now would be to talk from my experience again, actually. Yes, 
and, and because I can address that. Yes, exactly. Right and away. exactly. And uh, yes. And the one thing that when when you talked about all these uh, terms and concepts, the role of, for example, the role of organization and the role of some, mm -hmm. some different stuff. And I know that a uh, very good friend of mine, uh, she's a psychologist. And when people are coming and uh, con they are struggling with loneliness, for example, or uh, they have other anxiety syndromes and so on, the first thing that what always she suggests uh, going to signing up for the sports class mm -hmm. yes because there is a community sense people mm -hmm. they are doing some mm -hmm. together and you have a certain instructions that you should follow it's not mm -hmm. difficult you can easily communicate like it's also body body language is involved yes if you do some for example fitness boxing yes or would you do some other different stuff and this is actually interesting that you are uh, you have a gap you know today in our life because of this loneliness and individuality mm -hmm. individualization highly high individualization through this consumerism and so on i don't want to go to this side yeah. but the sport and its activities like community activities are very important to fill this gap yeah yes that's that's just i wanted to say because you discussed this organization and so on and yeah exactly this one and now you can talk about your experience in terms okay. of like physical health and yeah, I, I, I think that's an important thing to do, um, especially since, you know, uh, in taking um, the perspective of others and taking their standpoint as patients and all that, what you're doing is relating practically what other people have felt to yourself, right? Um, and so to name the specific mental health that I was going through is social anxiety, and it was depression. Um, two things, you know, I, I've had anxiety all my life, okay. I think lots of people have that. Have that. Um, it's good to be aware of it. Depression is something I was never prepared for, as I mentioned as a kid, or, you know, before I experienced this, not as a kid, but before I ex experienced this, I never even thought about mental health, right? And that means, in a certain sense, I wasn't practiced in knowing and recognizing mental health. So what I learned while experiencing it, and specifically, you know, turning myself around, what I learned in experiencing it was, you know, Riza is this very sports person, but also a very intellectual person as well. I used to be a rather healthy person, you know, sporty person when I was younger. I turned into academia and I turned into academia and definitely started a more sedentary, less physical lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and one, what I started doing, you know, what was my means of, at the time, um, bringing myself out of depression, you know, I didn't actually have anyone around me in order to really help me with that. I asked many people, hey, I would like to go do sports and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah. You know, they're not, you know, there's a paywall in order to go to the gym hmm. because we've been individualized. There's um, people are not willing to go jogging with you. You know, they just kind of mm -hmm. maybe are already exhausted in their own life. Uh, but it was like sports was always something I had done as a social thing. And it was really it's really difficult for me to as an individual then alone to become you know, to start making myself do physical exercise, even though I should, 
do it. So, you know, all we're talking about here with this responsabilization is not pushing our responsibilities away from ourselves. It's recognizing what's actually happening, too. I am responsible for doing sports, obviously, right? But the way I started connecting my experiences of depression, which were experienced in this very cognitive way, in this, in this what we've used the term cognitive dissonance, what I started doing was using practices of meditation, mm-hmm. which are practices of paying attention to our physical bodies. One of the things to do was pay attention to your heartbeat. You can feel it right now. You can feel your heart beating right now. And that's a very good gauge of your health in that moment, of your mental state of mind, of many things. Um, You might not be able to actually tell what's actually happening because it's just your heart beating. It's only one input. But feeling it, for instance, and then connecting it to, oh, I'm anxious. Um, You can do that. Or you can say, and, and then you can say further, wait, am I anxious because of something that's causing my heartbeat, like, you know, some outside experience? Or is my heart beating? uh, And that's why I'm anxious, because these things go back and forth. They're bidirectional. By the way, I'm I'm talking from Sapolsky. This is an example that Sapolsky uses, is paying attention, you know, Mm -hmm. is paying attention to your heart. He specifically um, uses it, it... in order to scare his students. Um, He says, so pay attention to your heart. Now imagine that heart not beating anymore. Imagine it being cold and in the ground. And and he predicted accurately that when people started doing that and paying attention to their heart, their hearts started beating. And this is, these are physical practices that we can do. Exactly, exactly. That is very important to mention that physical activity is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. You can just listen to your mm-hmm. heart breathe, meditate. Mm-hmm. This is already physical practice. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily you have to do two hours of CrossFit exactly. and run 10 kilometers and sprint. So that is when you do activity, you just in introspective. It's like it's something that you uh, you try to understand yourself and heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And by this uh, step one, I would say, for example, but by manipulating your heartbeat, which I mean, for example, increasing your heartbeat through different activities, Mm-hmm. like breathing panorama panorama yoga or a, uh, just a breathing like Wim Hof uh, German uh, guy who is a breathing expert breathing expert and you just increase the heartbeat from 50 for example to 80 90 and you reach your aerobic range aerobic mm-hmm. wall I would say it's a uh, uh, 130 for example 40 heartbeats depending on your age and by manipulating the heartbeat is everything starts. This is an activity, mm-hmm. cardiovascular mm-hmm. activity that uh, that is also uh, the chain reaction of metabolic activities mm-hmm. and oxidative, mm-hmm. it releases oxidative mm-hmm. stress and mm-hmm. lots of other stuff is going on. 
which is out of the scope of our today's yeah, podcast. We will discuss about this. But what you did, you meditated, you listened to your heartbeat, mm -hmm. and this is an activity which people don't think that this is activity, but it actually is an activity. And I became more physically active because of it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a spectrum. Is is yeah. really like is a there is a scale of from one to uh, hundred, and yeah. you can do ever whatever. Continuum. Yeah, yeah, continuum, and you can do whatever, and it doesn't matter. So it's actually also in yoga, for example, you are, you, everyone has its own journey. You cannot do full split or do handstand, but you can do something. And this mm -hmm. is your, your state, your status. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to, but the, the issue is that you don't want to be in the status quo entire your life. You want to always to add something up and increase your in general health, well-being. I mean, the, your experience is very, very important because although we are coming from almost a similar academic background, but our career is different and I'm, I'm mostly involved in sports although I'm a digital transformation consultant but I'm still an instru uh, instructor in different yoga pilates and kettlebell and other strength and conditioning stuff but your what you have done it's exactly definition of being active just listening to your heartbeat that's yeah. everything like start there and ends there I, as I well want, I want to actually yeah it yeah. starts there and ends there and I, I want to add one last thing I think I think yeah. this it would be negligence of me not to say this when you're listening to your heartbeat it's just your heartbeat it's just a physical thing happening accept it acknowledge it and move on because that's the ground of anxiety that's the that's the ground of depression it's paying attention to these things thinking that we don't have control becoming anxious about it, becoming anxious about life, and that itself creating a feedback loop. And what you need to do when you listen to your heartbeat is actually just acknowledge it and move on. Um, you know, you can pay attention to it, but you need to also let it go because it's just your body. And that was our <laughs> summary for our podcast. And I, I cannot add anything like to this beautiful yeah. <laughs> final speech. So, um, yeah, then we are done. We're and, done. And, and, and uh, for the next time, we are discussing honesty, yes? Yeah, next yes. time we'll discuss Discussing honesty. and, and yeah. as, as I told you uh, guys, uh, everything will be available in Medium. Uh, everything I mean a summary and where you can find the how, mm -hmm. how do you listen to this and uh, we will share across the platforms yes mm -hmm. and different platforms yeah ciao 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 <laughs> Mo yeah moin moin <laughs> <laughs>